We're in the Zurich Zoo right now, and I'm delighted to be here with the CEO of Zurich Zoo, Severin Dresen, who is an IMD alum, recently completed his uh, PED program. I'm delighted um, to be here with you today. And I just have to start uh, right off the bat and ask you, how do you get a job like this? When you ask kids, you know, what do you want to do when you grow up? Some people say, oh, I want to be a director of a zoo. When did you decide that this is what you wanted to do? Well, actually, I think that is more or less the time when I decided to become CEO of a zoo. But the difference to all the other boys or girls is that I never changed my plans. I was always fascinated by zoos or animals in general, by zoos in more particular. And, and I think when I, when I understood the roles, the positions that exist in a zoo, I, I realized I want to be someone who's, who can do the creative work. And that's, in case of a zoo, that's a CEO. It's fantastic. So you must have always been drawn to animals, to nature. Why in a zoo? What is appealing to you about zoos as institutions in the context of animal welfare and nature? I've been always fascinated. I, I love animals. I think animals are incredible. Every single species, every single individual has these amazing qualities or characteristics of its biology and I think that's just uh, amazing. Why zoo is because I think the idea of a modern zoo is a unique institution. It's a unique institution because we can contribute to so many different parts of conservation work. It's, it's the education of our guests here. It's research where we can contribute a lot to, but it's also the conservation of, of species by keeping them here, but also of habitat, of ecosystem by, with our projects. So you have all these different angles to, to one big problem or one big challenge, a societal challenge, and zoos can do an awful lot of work by helping to achieve these goals. So you mentioned a modern zoo, and, and that's a term that I've heard you used before. How's a modern zoo different from perhaps the, the sort of more traditional, perhaps somewhat stereotypical view that many folks might have of what a zoo is and how a zoo functions? Zoos as an idea has been around for a long time and in, in kind of medieval times a little bit later kings and emperors started to having like menageries to to have animals just on display to show their wealth and their power and obviously since then we came a long way especially in the last few decades where our society became more and more aware of the challenges that we have with the current loss of biodiversity with global change took more and more a proactive role and and developed from let's call it like a simple collection that is had always the education at its heart especially like a zoo like here in Zurich that wasn't founded by a king there was no king of Zurich but there were, were the people of, of the city of Zurich so education was always there, but the active contribution to conservation, to research, that has been something um, that came up over the last few decades and that has been adapted to a varying degree by different zoos around the world. So the zoo you lead, the Zurich Zoo, is seen as a leader in this respect. Again, not just educating local populations, visitors about the need to support, strengthen, protect biodiversity, but to contribute to efforts around the world. Can you talk a little bit about how you do that from here? Yeah, so we call it our in-situ conservation work. So in-situ is in the place, ex-situ is here in, in our zoo. In our in-situ conservation work, we really focus on long-term projects. We have what we call twinning. So with every part of the zoo, we're sitting here in the beautiful Lever Savannah exhibit. We have a partner project in Kenya. And there we do our conservation work and 
the specific projects, they do vary a lot. Sometimes it's helping one particular species, sometimes it's very research focused. Quite often it has the habitat in mind, the ecosystem, so we're trying to protect big pieces of land with all the animals and plant species on it. And most of the time the local community is involved and that is very important. It is fundamental for the success of any conservation work that the people, that the local communities understand the benefit of protecting the nature that they have outside of their home. So we always invest a lot of effort and resources in classes, in teaching and education, especially women and children, and also creating opportunities for work, sometimes within the national parks, for example, by being a ranger or whatever, and sometimes by projects just associated with the local communities. And so what would you say to somebody who says, that's all nice and good that you're doing this great work in, in Africa, in Asia, but at the end you're keeping animals in sort of unnatural habitats or far away from their natural habitat? I'm, I'm sure you get that question frequently. Uh, yeah, it is true. The animals that we can see here, they come originally from East Africa. However, all these animals here were born in other zoos. Yeah. And that is an important part of our work because what we do with many, many of our species that we keep in zoos is preserving the endangered species. Unfortunately, the number of species threatened by extinction is increasing every year. We have one species on this savannah exhibit that is actually extinct in the wild. It only exists in zoos. We're now starting reintroduction programs in northern Africa, but if zoos wouldn't exist, preserving these species, we wouldn't have any individuals to reintroduce them to the wild. So zoos, from a conservation point of view, from an education point of view, are more necessary than ever. And if you look actually at the numbers of visitors across Western countries, in Europe, the States, Australia, Japan, numbers are increasing every year. So you can really see the strong connection of zoos within society. In some ways, the challenge you face is not all that different from the challenge that other CEOs are dealing with, where there's so much work that happens behind the scene to make your operation sustainable, to align around the needs of nature and, and communities. And yet, it's probably hard to communicate all of that to your stakeholders. You have an audience here, they want to see animals, they want to perhaps learn about the animals, but they might not know the work that you're doing behind the scenes. What opportunities do you have to convey to people that what they're seeing is really part of a much broader sort of network of conservation efforts? It's a very good question because that is basically the essential bit of my almost day-to-day -day work. Communicating our work as an individual institution but also as a wider network of modern zoos is, is crucial because we do such an important work but we obviously rely on the support of the society. And to really bring in these sometimes complex situations, the complex work that we're doing in understandable terms, in digestible packages to bring that across, that's a challenge but I really enjoy it because on the other side you have so many people in the case of Zoo Zurich who are supporting us and who are supporting our work and who are supporting our ideas. We have such a strong backing of the city of Zurich, of the canton of Zurich and that is obviously a great feeling to see how many people really believe in the idea of Zoo Zurich. So you were saying before that your zoo, other modern zoos in Europe are really um, Popularity is increasing, not decreasing, and yet we know that, particularly for the younger audience, there's so many alternatives, from video games to TV and so on. How do you compete 
for attention, yeah. particularly of younger people? I think the answer to that had two levels, let's say. Obviously, we have to stay on top of our game and we have to see what's out there, uh, what new technologies are out there, like augmented reality, like virtual reality. And it's up to us to incorporate that in the visitor's experience, for sure. That is very important. And I think if you don't do that, you lose, as you said, you lose especially connection to the younger generation. And that wouldn't be good because we, we see ourselves as an educating institution. So we have to reach the whole breadth of, of society. But, and that is something... Um, that we see, especially in these kind of uh, weird pandemic times, yeah. people have a longing of being outside, outdoors, being in nature. Yeah. We've seen that every time after lockdown, people have to get out. People have to get out into the green, especially people who live in the city. Yeah. And uh, a zoo is a perfect place for that. So I'm really not worried that kind of technological development might detach us from the younger generation. I think we can use the benefits for educational purposes, but I think we, at the end of the day, even if we live in cities, we need a connection to nature. You mentioned that you work closely with the city of Zurich, with the Canton, but there must be so many stakeholders, both locally, across Europe, other zoos, globally, the conservation partners. Your head starts spinning when you start thinking about all of these stakeholders. How do you organize the engagement with these different stakeholders? It's, it's not a one-man show, right? We have a great team, great team of people who are very passionate about their, their job, who are very good in what they're doing and a very experienced team. Some of them have been working together for, for years and that helps a lot. And therefore, it is not that difficult. Obviously, you have to prioritize a lot and you have to always choose what message do you want to send to this particular audience, to this particular stakeholder. But at the end of the day, it's a team effort and that works really well. When you think about your local community of stakeholders, for example, how do you involve them in plans for the future of the zoo and I, I know in conversations with that you're thinking not just about the next two years or five years you're thinking 10 years 20 years as you're making investments to create new habitats and new settings how do you involve the community in those efforts to make sure that sense of ownership remains we have various let's say vehicle how you can really get involved within the zoo or how you get how you can contribute to, to the development of our zoos. We are a shareholder business, so we have 25,000 shareholders, many of them living around here and actively support the zoo. By this, we have a lot of pass holders uh, who are obviously also by their feedback, um, by their visits, what they like, what they dislike, contribute to the development. And we have a strong volunteering team where hundreds of people spend thousands of hours every year here in supporting us. Really, we are very open. You have very different opportunities to contribute to that. And we try to engage every group. We have annual events. We have our, our shareholder events, our, our annual passholder events, our donors event. And that brings people together here in the zoo. And they share this passion for the zoo. And, and that helps a lot. Another way in which your role as, as CEO of the zoo is quite similar to those of CEOs leading other organizations is that you're competing with peers, but at the same time you work closely with them. Can you talk a little bit about the sort of the zoo industry and how you guys relate to one another and work together? Yeah, yeah it's a complex it's a complex topic because as you mentioned before, we do collaborate an awful lot. All animal management couldn't work without strong collaborations. Most species that we keep are coordinated on a European level and they rely on these breeding programs where zoos exchange individuals depending on how they're related and that, so they rely on zoos collaborating very closely. Of course, there is some sort of competition. 
Not so much here, actually, in Switzerland, because the Swiss zoos really chose to prioritize certain aspects. So I'd love to hear a little bit from you about leading this team here. I would suspect the people who work here are incredibly passionate about their work. This is like a calling for many of them. How does that change the way you lead a team if, if people are so passionate about this, this very particular work setting? Are you absolutely right? I think it has its pros and cons, or like its benefits and its disadvantages, because if you work in a zoo, you, you don't work in a zoo because you want to become rich, yeah. right? You, you work in a zoo because you believe in the course and you're so passionate about the idea. Yeah. And that really accounts for for all people working in the zoo, not only for the animal keepers, but basically for every profession that we have. And that's great because it brings in a lot of energy, it brings a lot of motivation. Sometimes you get to this tipping point. Obviously, if everyone is like so passionate about it and you have your own ideas, then it uh, sometimes can get a little bit tricky to really kind of keep it on track and keep it focused on certain things. And so I think sometimes passion can get also in the way, but obviously the overall benefit is, is fantastic if you really have people who love coming every day to their job. You know, usually when a CEO wants to bring together their top team, they might say, let's go to this conference room or that conference room. You told me you sometimes take your top team for a walk through the zoo. You say, let's go meet in the elephant house. So why is it important for you to, to bring your leadership team together in the zoo itself? What does that do? Well, I think they're... There are um, actually two reasons for doing it. One, it can really be, it's so easy, or it's much easier than in any other company, you kind of have a, have a change of scenery, yeah. right? So you might have a, you know, a long meeting and you, you get stuck in it, right? Or there might even be some tension or whatever, and then it's so easy to change it and say, come on, let's go for a round, let's go for a spin, and then everything is different already. The main reason to, for doing these kind of, for example, our weekly rounds is there are so many different aspects to successful zoo or to a daily business. We have the animal keeping uh, part of it, so the animal welfare, but we obviously also have marketing, we have gastronomy, we have a visitor satisfaction in general, we have safety, we have all these different parts and to bring it together in such a unique environment as a zoo, because when you work in a school, there's, there's a plan, there's a there's a template for everything. Oh, how large is the room? How many times the room has to be cleaned every day? How many pupils are allowed in this room. Yes, everything is organized probably on a federal level and Zeus is always unique. So whatever we build here is unique and to bring in the different internal stakeholders uh, is a lot of fun but you sometimes need to be on the spot and talk about it. What are your key priorities right now as you're taking the Zurich Zoo forward and, and built on this strong foundation of conservation? So right now, in the phase of finalizing the kind of master planning for the next actually 30 years, because especially our internal development takes so long. So from the first kind of design ideas of the lever of the savanna here to the inauguration, we talk about 10 years. So really, it, like one cycle takes a long time. So we now think really, how is the zoo going to look like in 20, 30 years and it's, it has been a, such an interesting journey, like we had a lot of like great workshops, a lot of very good discussions and so we're now wrapping everything up and next month, actually in September 2021, we will then publish our, our master plan. Can you give us a peek? What are a couple of things? What is the future of zoos or this zoo in particular? I think, yeah, again, you have these kind of different trajectories, right? you have these kind of four main pillars where we as a modern zoo rest on, which is the education and the research and the conservation here of endangered species and the conservational work 
abroad. We will really push for conservation and research. Zoos have a great potential for research. Uh, and we want to use that even more and we will push uh, to intensify our conservation efforts. But then we also have ideas um, what to do here within our zoos. You know, we want to maintain this kind of position of being the innovative zoo, the zoo trying new things, setting standards or showing by example how you can do the next step in modern animal husbandry. And I really hope that we will also manage that over the next years and decades. Uh, so earlier on our way over here, you showed me uh, a part of the zoo where you have an elephant alarm system or a replica of an elephant alarm system from Thailand. What is that all about? What is that story? So we always try to show the work that we do abroad. And that is a great example because part of our conservation effort in Thailand, in the Kang Chan National Park, or in the communities living around the national park, is to mitigate uh, human animal conflict, or in this case, human elephant conflict. The problem is elephants come overnight, they're, they're raiding the crops of the farmers, there's not a very good reimbursement scheme, so farmers then are really facing the problem that the elephant destroyed their crops, they don't know what to do, and so they want to retaliate. So they're poisoning or killing the elephant in one way or the other. You could now come up with some fancy modern Western technology to mitigate the conflict, but that wouldn't be affordable for most local communities. So what we're really supporting there is an approach that comes up with this very simple solution. You have basically a wire that is connected on poles around the farmland. And when the elephant walks into this wire, an alarm goes off. That can be sound, that can be light, whatever scares off the elephant. It's very simple, it's very cheap, but very effective. And that results into a zero killing of elephants in the area where this very system of, of human elef elephant conflict mitigation is put into place and that is the project we're supporting in Thailand. And you're displaying it here so that people here know what work you're doing there. Absolutely, because it is not only creating these kind of emotional connection to, with our animals, that is really something we're trying to achieve. We want, to, we want really to kind of touch people's emotion and so people see these animals and think oh man I really want to save them I want to contribute to conservation but to also show the actual efforts that we're doing. When you think about sustainability here in the context we think of animals animal welfare we think about conservation but you're running a, an operational business talk a little bit about the sustainability of the actual installations here. Obviously we have the same challenges when it comes to sustainability as any other company when it comes of energy and and water and especially in the gastronomy sector the kind of the origin of the food and we try to lead by example we are conservation institution we want to contribute to conservation so we have to lead by example you know and when it comes to energy and we are co2 a neutral institution we produce 99% of all the heating energy produced ourselves we offset all the the electricity that we need and when it comes to for example food we only sell swiss meat and swiss fish so no shellfish from all over the world we have 50% of our food is vegetarian or vegan and that is that is a sustainable approach because it's not a commercial approach because we have 50% on the menu is vegetarian or vegan, but only 13% of the sold food items are vegetarian or vegan. So people really don't want vegetarian or vegan, but we still see it as our work as a conservation institution to, to lead by example. 
So the sustainability of the operations is really important, but at the same time, you don't have lavish external funding. You have to support yourself. So how do you manage some of these trade-offs where, you know, being carbon neutral, producing your own energy, right, sourcing sustainably, drive your costs up, but at the same time, you you have to break even. You have no choice. Oh, yeah. And, and ideally, not only to break even, but also make a little bit of money to invest in then in further projects or ideas but but it is it's p part of the deal obviously if you sell a sausage yeah. of swiss production it's more expensive and so the margin will be smaller but it just wouldn't be credible if you talk all day about animal welfare and conservation and then you sell some cheap meat that has been produced god knows where and has been shipped three times around the world and that is it's really part of, of, of our dna and therefore obviously it has to it has to work financially but not doing it is really not an option how long was your predecessor in the job 29 years 29 years your predecessor held the role for 29 years mm -hmm. right you're stepping in really still in, in the sort of the early phase of your own career mm -hmm. how do you think about this sort of transition how do you build on the legacy while at the same time ensuring that you can give the zoo sort of your sort of personal direction and touch mm -hmm. First of all, it's, it's a great privilege. It's a, it's a huge privilege at my point in my career, my personal development, to be able uh, to, to run a zoo. It's, that's a fantastic opportunity. My predecessor, do the math, when he was like 29 years, so he was only a few years older than I am right now when he took over. And I, I did think before I moved to Zurich, I thought, oh, that can be a challenge to take over from someone or take over an institution that has been run by one, by one person. We have... I think a handful of people of our 450 employers have worked under a different CEO rather than my predecessor. So almost everyone only knew him as, as the CEO. Almost all the young Germans only know Angela Merkel as, yeah. as the chancellor. However, I was really amazed how open this institution was to someone new. They made it incredibly easy to start working here and to get involved and get on track. That I, I, I didn't imagine it that easy. They were incredibly open. And when it comes to taking over this legacy, and it is a true legacy, because he did a fantastic job. 30 years ago, Zoo Zurich was a loss-making, media-average zoo, and now it's one of the leading institutions of our community. And I think what helps taking over this legacy is that we share a common understanding what a modern zoo lo should look like. And we're certainly not the same. My, I'm not uh, 2.0, you know, I'm not just an updated version. We are, we are different people, we have different personalities, but we share uh, the same goal and same understanding what a zoo should move into. And, and I think that makes it you know, very easy because I don't have to change the direction. We need to develop it further and we need to always try to be innovative, catch the next wave and to stay on top of the game, but we don't have to change directions. So let's assume you stay on the job also for 29 years. Yeah. What is this place going to look like when you hand it over to the next young leader who wants to leave its mark? I think on a practical level, we will we'll have a lot more technology in 30 years. I, I certainly think that there will, be, there will be so many advantages of using certain things when it comes to education uh, that we will use more technology. And then on an idealistic point of view, it, it really depends whether you're the optimist or the pessimist, yeah, because our work contributes to the societal challenge of global change. And in kind of 30, 35 years, if you're the optimist, you know, then kind of 
society, global society got their act together and we managed to change directions. And then maybe, for example, in 30 years, zoos will provide a lot of animals for reintroduction purposes because we have the habitats to rewild animals. If you're more If you're more pessimistic and you don't think that we will manage to do that, then maybe in 30 years, most of the animals around me will only exist in zoos because they will be gone from the natural habitat because there's no natural habitat left. So this is you know, such an inspirational setting. How does it inspire you as a leader? Honestly, what I quite often think when I look at our animals and when I take the time to, to walk around is that they really have their work-life balance in place because they don't work. They just have life, which is something that I struggle really with. Probably many leaders struggle with it. To really take kind of the speed out of your daily business is something that I should be learning from the animals. So far, I struggle with it. That was great. I love that. And I keep looking at the rhino and I'm like, yeah, just eat a little grass and move on a little bit further. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. To hear more such interviews as soon as they come out, click subscribe or follow wherever you're listening to this. You can also find a range of forward-thinking analyses, business intelligence and insights in our new magazine and content ecosystem called I by IMD. You will be able to register by clicking in the link that appears in the show notes of this episode. Thank you for listening. And until next time.